Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would get your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20 is where we're going to begin momentarily as we get ready to work together in the Word of God one more time this evening. As I said this morning, we will continue to talk about some rather unpleasant subject matter, but I need you to get in the Bible. I need you to see this is not from my imagination. I don't want to talk about these things. The Bible talks about these things, and we're just going to speak where the Bible speaks this evening. That begins in Revelation chapter 20. It's great to see you this evening. Great to have the opportunity to be together once more on what has turned out to be actually a rather nice day, even though it was all overcast and rainy and wind blowing hard this morning. The sun peaked out right around noontime, and it's just turned into a rather nice afternoon. And I hope you've been able to enjoy this day in some way, whether that's getting outside or maybe just taking a Sunday afternoon nap. Man, Sunday afternoon naps are just always wonderful, but I'm glad that we have the chance to come together right now and to focus our minds upon spiritual things. Let's do that by the reading of Revelation chapter 20, I'm looking here in verse 11. As John sees these amazing visions of events that are yet to come, he says in Revelation chapter 20 beginning in verse 11, Then I saw, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. About eight weeks ago, I stood in this pulpit on a Sunday evening and I shared with you some excerpts of a little book that I had been given several years ago entitled, Kids Talk About Heaven. And in that book are contained a number of quotations and thoughts and just kind of random kinds of things that little kids were thinking about heaven. And as I shared that with you that evening, I use that as kind of a springboard to talk to you a little bit about how we can help our kids in their thinking about heaven and thinking more accurately about heaven. Well, in the last half of that book, there's actually a section that's entitled The Opposite of Heaven. And as you can probably guess, what that is, is it's another section of thoughts and quotations by little kids about hell. I thought I'd share some of those with you this evening for just a moment to begin with. Uh, Here's a little quotation from a boy named Chris. Chris said, if you have to go to hell, do they tell your parents? I I share those concerns, Chris. I was always worried about that as a kid. Uh, How about this one? A little girl named Shana. She asked, are there different places in hell if you were just bad but not terrible? Uh, That's actually a really good question. It's a question adults have about the idea of degrees of punishment in hell. That little girl may really be wise beyond her years. Here's a little boy by the name of Bill. He said, you go to hell for sinning. And that's exactly right, Bill. But he goes on to say, a lot of stuff that you like to do is sinning, so you got to be very careful. And that little boy might turn out to be a preacher someday because he is really on the right track. Here's something that a little boy by the name of Keaton wrote talking about the devil. He said, Satan is another name for the devil. He has lots of names and they're all scary. But mostly he has horns and he smells bad. But when he dresses up, he looks very cool. 
And he can make you do some bad things. And there's even a picture here of probably what lots of kids think about when they envision what the devil looks like, that maybe he does look kind of cool. Right, here's my last two. These two are actually my favorite in the whole book. Here's one from a little boy named Andrew. He said this. He said, it's always dark in hell. You never know who's going to grab you or what you'll step in. You can never be too careful about that. Lastly, this is one by, I think this is a little girl by the name of Somalia. She said, they have something in hell called hell, fire, and brimstone. And it happens in the bottomless pit. No thanks. And I'm right there with that girl. No thanks to that. You know, kids are, just by their very nature, they are just insatiably curious. They always want to know about stuff. They're always asking questions about stuff. And that is certainly true when we start talking about the afterlife. Kids do have lots of thoughts about heaven. But as this little book also goes to show, kids also have lots of thoughts about hell. While children's thoughts may be rather simplistic, the idea of if you're good, you get a reward, that's heaven... And while you, if you're bad and you do wrong, then you're punished, and that, of course, is hell. While that might be an oversimplification, there is something to be said there about how kids are able to connect some dots and they are able to understand some things. And as parents and as adults, we, we want to help them in that understanding, particularly as it pertains to hell. You know, most children are afraid of the concept of hell, and, and rightfully so. The thought of fire and flames. We read there in those verses in Revelation chapter 20 about a lake of fire. That frightens children. In fact, there are a number of children, maybe you were even one of them, who one of your primary motivations for obeying the gospel was your fear of hell. Well, we want to take that as moms and dads. We want to take that and work with that and help our kids to come to an even better understanding of what the Bible says. Because the Bible says more than just hell is a lake of fire and you ought to be afraid to go there. No, the Bible helps us to have even greater desires to not go to hell. And we want to help our kids in that direction, which is why this evening I want to present the counterpart to the sermon that I presented a couple of months ago. And that is, I want to talk about how we can help our kids to think and to think accurately about hell. There certainly are some things that kids think about hell that eh, just really miss the mark. I think about some of those thoughts that kids have about the devil and what the, who the devil is and what his role is in hell. And we want to help in that. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we work along tonight. But we want to try to help our kids to understand about that horrible place of punishment. Which means that this evening as we do that, it is not my intention at all to go diving off into any kind of deep theological discussions about whether hell is a literal place of fire or if maybe it is just a state of mental anguish and mental torment. We're not doing that this evening. That's not going to get things on the level for a kid. We're not going to do all kinds of deep the ecclesiastical wandering where we're all over the place thinking about thoughts and thinking about ideas that we really don't have any answers to. And furthermore, we're not going to get into the debate of whether or not a loving and merciful God would send people to hell. I realize that we could say some preliminary things about the justice of God and how that demands punishment, sin demands punishment, but I simply want to start where we started in Revelation chapter 20. And that is that God is going to send people into a lake that burns with fire. 
And I want to just say right out of the gate, and this is really what we want to start with our kids, is that it really doesn't matter whether we agree with that or not. doesn't matter whether we like that or not. doesn't matter what our thoughts are about that. That is going to happen, and it's going to happen because the Bible tells me so. What my goal is, and what our goal is as parents, is we want to build upon that, and we want to help our kids to understand about the horrors of hell. We want them to understand about the very nature of hell itself so that they would develop within themselves the deep-seated conviction that I must not be lost. I cannot be lost. I do not want to go to that place. Whatever the cost, whatever it takes, I must be certain that I go to heaven because I don't want to go to hell. And I do think that this is a subject that is especially important for kids and for young people. Because our young people are living in a culture and they are living in a time when people just regularly mock the idea of hell. People today want to make hell into some kind of a joke. They want to make hell seem like the place where, well, that's where all the cool people are going to go. That's where all the people who are really having fun, all the people who are really with it, hey, they're going to be down in hell and you know what? You want to be there too. ACDC sang several years ago, I'm on the highway to hell and we're going to have a big old party down there. And yet this evening what we want to paint is the picture that Scripture paints. Because the Scripture speaks so forcefully about hell that despite our society's best efforts to minimize the reality and the horrors of hell, God's Word says that hell is awful. And we want to help our kids to understand just how awful it really is. And so this evening, young people, take notice. Parents, take notice. Christian, take notice. Non-Christian, take notice. Listen to what the Bible says about this terrible place. Let's begin that first and foremost as we help our kids to think about hell and to think about how terrible it will be. We want to tell them first and foremost that hell will be awful... Because God is not there. Now that may surprise you that that would be where we would want to begin with our kids because whenever we start thinking about hell, usually the first thing that we think of is eternal fire. In fact, when you saw the background on my PowerPoint slides this evening, you probably even said to yourself, Ah, I can guess what Josh is preaching on. Josh is preaching on hell. And there is a good reason for that. Would you look with me in Mark the ninth chapter this evening? In Mark chapter 9, as Jesus discusses hell, you'll see exactly why fire is usually the immediate image that comes to our mind. In Mark chapter 9, this is in verse 42, Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled then with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Fire certainly is a part of the biblical depiction of hell. Fire, of course, is just terribly painful. No one wants to be burned. I've been burned in small ways on my finger and on my hand and places like that before, and I didn't like that. 
And nobody likes that. Nobody looks forward to the idea of being burned. The idea then of a place that just burns and burns and burns and burns, that is just terrifying to us. And it's hard for us then to imagine that there could ever be anything possibly worse, that there could be a punishment that is worse than fire over and over, on and on and on. But I'm telling you this evening that there is something worse than that. There absolutely is something worse than eternal fire. And that something is to be cast into a place where there is no God. Let that sink in for a moment. One of Scripture's consistent themes is that hell is the place where God is not. Can we stitch together some verses about that? Look in Matthew chapter 7, please. In Matthew chapter 7, I want you to notice just how much Jesus has to say about this subject. In Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus is addressing those who have not done the will of the Father in heaven, in Matthew 7 and in verse 23, Jesus says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see that phrase, depart from me? Go away from my presence. What is the punishment there? The punishment is, you can't be with the Lord. That's the punishment. Look again in Matthew, this time in chapter 25. In Matthew 25, as Jesus once again discusses and depicts judgment, He says in verse 41, Matthew 25 verse 41, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus is saying, go out from Me, goats. Those who've been called to the left hand, get away from me. You can't be where the Lord is. One more in this connection. Look in 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, here is the Apostle Paul as he discusses the end of all things. And what Paul says agrees exactly with what Jesus says. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and in verse 7, Paul says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on, the, on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. What's going to happen to them? Verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of His might. Again and again and again, the Bible tells us that what makes hell so awful is that God won't be there. Now, can I expound upon that idea for just a moment? Can we really even fathom a place where God is not? You know, we're not in heaven right now where we're you know, literally in the presence of God. But here on this earth, we have the promise that God is with us. How many times in Scripture does Jesus or God say, I am with you. I'll be with you always. God's always saying that. And we have evidence of that all around us. Creation. The fact that the seasons continue to change. The fact that we pray and God answers prayers. Uh, the fact that just so many things around us are evidence that God clearly is with us here. So what will it be like to be in a place that is away from God entirely? What exactly would that mean? Well, let me break that out. Here's some things that we can help our kids to understand. Because again, it's hard for us to even fathom the idea of a place where God is not. So what would it mean to be in that kind of place? Well, first of all, to be away from God would mean, well, it would mean to be in a place where there is no light. No light whatsoever. In 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 5, we're told there that God is light. 
He is the source of all light. But of course, if God isn't there, well then that would mean that you are in absolute darkness, aren't you? Would you go back to Matthew 25 again? In Matthew chapter 25, as Jesus is completing the parable of the talents, notice the final statement that He makes in verse 30. In Matthew chapter 25, this is in verse 30, Jesus says there, Matthew 25 and in verse 30, He says, cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is this darkness? Well, I believe amongst other things, it is a darkness of pure evil. It is wickedness and ungodliness. It is to be in a place where it is bombarded on every side, where God's presence is not, and there is no light, there is no brightness there, no one is there to reflect the goodness of God, the character of God, no one is shining as an example. It is utter, outer darkness. That's frightening. Furthermore, if you are away from God, then that means as well, you are away from the very source of life. God, of course, is life itself. He is the creator and the sustainer of all life. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 13. Why do you think the Bible refers to hell as the second death? Well, because to be away from God, to be separated from God, is what? It is to die. And I want you to think about that when the Bible says that God gives life, that means a whole lot more than just God God animates us, God gives us breath, God causes us to be able to move and to do the things that we ought to be able to do. It, It is those things. But even more than that, life, biblically, it speaks to purpose and meaning. And what fills life up and makes it good. We talk about that's really living. The abundant life. But you know what? If you're away from God, if you're away from all that is life and the provider of life, then that means you are away from anything that is purposeful, anything that is meaningful, anything that would cause us to say, now that's really living. There'll be none of that. You'll never be able to say, wow, I really feel alive. Nope, not in hell. Which would mean as well, thirdly, that if you are away from God, then that means also that you are away from the source of all joy. Look with me in Ecclesiastes, please, in the Old Testament. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, look at what Solomon says here. This is exactly right. This is really kind of the logical conclusion. If you're in a place where there's no light and there's no life, look at what Solomon says. This is what it means to be away from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and in verse 24, he says there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Verse 25 now. For apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? What a profound question. Apart from God, separate from God, away from God, how can anybody have any enjoyment at all? You think about that. If God is the source of all joy and happiness and contentment, and you are away from God, you're in the place where God is not, then there'll be no joy in that place. 
There won't even be the possibility for anything joyful in that place. There'll be no satisfaction. There'll be no happiness. No, it'll be nothing but weeping and sorrow and crying and pain and suffering and gnashing of teeth. What an awful, dreadful thought to be away from God and to have no light, no life, and no joy. You know... It's natural for us to think about hell being awful because it's a place of fire. And I'll say again, I don't want to be burned. I don't, I'm not interested in that. I don't like fire at all. But the truth of the matter is, if I was burned and God was with me, I'd be okay with that. I would. You want to know why? Because God would comfort me. God would help me. God could heal me. But that's why I will say one more time, it is far worse to be away from God than any other form of punishment that you could imagine, fire or otherwise. Because to be alone without God, to be in that place where there is no light, where there is no life, and where there is no joy, that is to be in a place of utter despair. And that's what we want to help our kids to understand first above everything else. You don't want to go to hell because God won't be there. But I should say secondly, we want to tell our kids that hell is going to be horrible because of who will be there. And just exactly who will be in hell. Well, I'll tell you who will be in hell. It'll be the people who wanted nothing to do with God, the people who rejected God, the people who rejected God's ways, the people who are hypocritical about God's ways, those will be the people who will populate hell. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 gives us kind of a quick little list. In Revelation chapter 21 and in verse 8, notice what the Lord says there. Here's going to be kind of a condensed uh, description of the population of hell. In Revelation 21 and in verse 8, the Lord says, but as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolater, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now you stop and look at that list. You can probably expand that list a little bit more. There's places in 1 Corinthians 6 and other places that maybe even gives even more description of the kind of people that will be in hell. But look at those people. The worst of the worst. I don't want to be around those people. I don't want to hang around those kinds of folks. You know, the kindest way that I know to describe those kinds of people is that those people are selfish. And they are self-willed. You know, whenever we talk about, about prison... You know, I don't want to go to jail. Man, oh, that'd be awful to go to jail, be sentenced to jail. That'd be terrible. That'd be awful. Maybe the first thing that we think about is, I don't want to be locked up. I don't. To have my you know, movement restricted, to be away from my family, that'd be really awful. But you know what? Maybe the second thing that we think of is, I don't want to be locked up away from my family, and I don't want to be locked up with those kinds of people the people who get put into jail. And yet in hell, you will have no choice about that. You will have no voice in the matter. There will be no possibility for an appeal. 
No appealing to a higher court. There'll be no possibility for a governor or a presidential pardon. There'll be no opportunity even to band with some other guys and plan some kind of escape from that place. No. You're there and you are stuck with those people. It's bad enough that God's going to be absent from the picture. But to make matters worse, you will be in the midst of the most wicked of all time, the most wicked collection of souls ever assembled together. As one writer put it, he said this, he said, Hell will be a place where there is no love. In it will be heaped up misery of all the hatred, malice, envy, jealousy that have ever, ever lived. There will be no compassion, no gentleness, no thoughtfulness, no selfless concern for others. Only the unbroken cry of endless selfishness. Wow. To be confined with all the selfish and wicked of all time. And let's not forget as well, hell will also be occupied with the most selfish and wicked of all time. I'm of course talking about the devil. If you're still in Revelation, would you just turn back to chapter 20? In Revelation chapter 20, you know it is very popular today. And this is one of these myths that we and sometimes our kids get get convinced of. And that is that the devil and his angels, it's believed that they are kind of like the warden of hell. And they're the guards of hell. The angels are kind of like the guards of hell. As if somehow the devil is in hell and he's just kind of enjoying it. And he's just waiting to bring other people down there with him. And the devil's just kind of doing backstrokes through the lake of fire. And he's just having a high old time down in hell. That's not an accurate picture. In Revelation chapter 20, I'm reading here in verse 10. In Revelation 20 verse 10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Do you see? The devil is not running hell. No, the devil is in hell. And those people who are in hell, that means they are with the devil. They are all suffering together with the devil, the most wicked and selfish creature of all time. How awful is that? You know, sometimes sometimes we need to just think a little bit and maybe get ourselves a little bit of a taste of what hell might be like. You know, sometimes when we have like a really powerful worship service where the singing is just you know, awesome... And the preaching is, you know, really just on fire. And man, we leave that day. Occasionally you'll hear somebody say, Wow, that was just a little taste of heaven. That was just a little piece of what heaven's going to be like. Well, maybe we need to do that with hell. You want to get a little piece of hell? All right. Turn on the news. And I realize I usually am discouraging turning on the news, but, but turn on the news. Maybe it's a good idea for us to do that. Let's turn on the news. Let's get on our our news feed. Let's read about what's going on. And let's take a look at the awful things that are being perpetrated in our world today. Here's the story of some evil and wicked monster who has perpetrated crimes against others, murder, kidnapping children, some kind of a rapist, someone who commits despicable acts. That person could be a he, could be a she, but they did what they wanted to do. They were utterly selfish and utterly self-willed. They didn't care about others. They didn't care if it hurt others. They didn't care if it caused people to cry or to miss and lose their loved ones. They had no compassion. 
They had no pity. There was none of that. That person just did what they wanted to do to gratify their own sick pleasures. That, that's a small taste of what hell will be like. That's the kind of people who will be in hell. And if we watch those news stories and we recoil a little bit, maybe that feeling of recoiling and that uncomfortableness, maybe that's actually a good thing. Because that would then press us to want to not go to such a place where we would be with such people. People who care only about themselves, totally stuck on themselves, not interested in God, not interested in God's ways, not interested in being one of God's children, not interested in living faithfully as one of God's children. That's the kind of people that will be in hell. And you can think about all kinds of people. Think about the atheist, the God-hating person who despises you, despises the fact that you live morally and you live by the Word of God and you hold it up as being the supreme authority of all things. People who mock that and make fun of that, they will be in hell. And every other kind of awful thing that you can see and think of in between there, that's what hell will be like. If you go to hell, number one, God won't be there. But if that's not bad enough, look at who is going to be in hell. That, that makes hell truly, truly horrible. Especially when you consider thirdly, just how long hell is going to last. Because we do want to emphasize to our kids finally, that hell is horrible and awful because it's going to last forever. It is. It's just going to go on and on forever. It will be without end. Now that's a concept that's hard for kids to wrap their minds around. But we need to say what the Bible says. That hell is forever. You know, I've already commented about how Jesus has a lot to say about the subject of hell. And you need to know that Jesus is always talking about hell. For example, the term Gehenna, which is often translated into our English word hell, of the 11 times that it is used in the New Testament, 10 of those times it's Jesus who's talking about that. Jesus is always saying stuff about the awfulness of hell. And I believe the point that Jesus probably emphasizes the most strongly every time is this third point. That hell will go on forever and ever without end. Can we go back to that passage in Mark 9? In Mark 9, as Jesus describes this punishment of hell, I want you to pay careful attention to the duration of that punishment. In Mark chapter 9 and in verse 48, Jesus says there in Mark 9 verse 48, He says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Translation, it never stops. It never ends. Would you go back to that verse in Matthew 25 again? In Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 41. As Jesus talks about the judgment scene in Matthew 25 verse 41, then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Drop down to verse 46 of the same chapter. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do you see those words eternal? Or maybe your translation says everlasting? Those are the very same words that the Bible uses to describe the eternal nature of God Himself. We often talk about God. God has no beginning God has no ending. God is forever. He is is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He's all of those things because He has always existed. 
Well, you know what? That is the exact same word that is used to describe the eternal nature of the suffering in hell. And I want you to notice as well, verse 46 right there in that same chapter points it out, that Jesus says that hell will be just as long as heaven will be. If heaven is going to be for all of eternity, this wonderful bliss forever and ever, then hell is going to be just as long and it will not, it cannot be one second shorter. Hell is forever. And I really want us to think about that this evening and we want to help our kids to think about that. Because as humans, it does seem that we are really, really good at doing cost-to-benefit analysis. Do you know what I mean by that? Several years ago when I worked for the county attorney's office and was still doing child support casework, I had a case with a guy whose child support uh, amount that he owed had reached just kind of astronomical proportions. I had done everything that I could in the lower courts to try to get this guy to pay, garnishing wages, seizing taxes, sending him you know, contempt of court and going to jail for 90 days at a time. Eventually he had racked up a debt of more than $30,000 in past due child support. So. I had to take it to the next level. I had to bring it up to the grand jury, had to indict the guy on flagrant non-support. When that man was finally brought up to court and they went through all the proceedings, he was given a choice. He was given the option. He said, sir, the judge said, sir, you can either take two years in the state penitentiary, you serve that out in the state penitentiary, don't get any chance for any kind of parole or probation, or I can give you probation right now where you will then have to go to work and you will have to work to pay off that entire debt that you owe. And I remember sitting in the courtroom and watching the guy. And you could see him just kind of mulling it over in his mind before finally he just said, Judge, I'll take the two years in jail. You see what that guy did? That guy did a little bit of that cost-to-benefit analysis and what he realized, at least for him, is that the benefit of not having to pay back all of that money, it was worth the cost of serving two years in jail. And you know what? That's kind of how we are sometimes. We do that. We may do that on smaller scales, but we do that. We do the math. We convince ourselves that you know what? It might be worth it to take this particular punishment if it means getting to enjoy the pleasures of this particular sin. But you just stop and you think about with hell as the final punishment. There is no equation, there is no math where the benefit received is going to somehow be greater than the eternity without God, the eternity with the wicked, the eternity with the devil and his angels. You cannot ever make that math somehow compute and work. There's no matter, it doesn't matter how much happiness or how much temporary pleasure you might derive from living in sin while you're here on this earth, it will never never ever amount to a drop in the bucket when you weigh it against the thought of an eternity in hell fire. In fact, even if you could live a thousand lifetimes, even if you had all the money that the world has ever printed, even if you could live like a king and gratify yourself in every way imaginable, I'm the king of the world, it's still wouldn't stack up to the eternal punishment of hell. And can I just say to you practically, you're not going to live a thousand lifetimes. 
And you're not going to have all the money the world has ever printed. And you're not going to live like the king of the world. Why then do we imagine that if we fool around in sin for a few feeble years, that somehow that's ever going to be worth being lost forever? I remember several years ago, someone who was very near and dear to our family, they were being talked to by someone who cared very much about their soul. And they were trying to tell that individual that if you continue living this way, you're going to go to hell. And the person that you have married yourself to, they're going to go to hell too. And that person's response was, well, at least we'll be in hell together. What that person did not understand was they did not understand that that little bit of pleasure that they could eke out of this life living in sin, it doesn't even begin to compare to the punishment that one day they will endure if they do not repent and change. It's not. It will never be worth it. Jesus says so in Matthew 16, one final verse this evening. In Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 26, listen to what the Lord says. This is a profound thought. In Matthew 16 and in verse 26, Jesus says there, He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall it a man give in return for his soul? Do you want to know what's really sad about that verse? What's sad about that verse is that most people are willing to strike a bargain with the devil for far less than gaining the whole world but it'll never be worth it, no matter the cost. It'll never be worth it because hell, hell will never, ever end. And maybe here's the thing, at least for me, that makes hell so dreadful, is the thought that, you know, as human beings, we're capable of enduring almost anything if we know that that pain and that suffering is going to stop eventually. You know, if we're able to see the the light at the end of the tunnel, if we're able to see that there's going to be a rainbow after the storm clears, then hey, we we can hold on a little longer. We can hang in there, we can see it through to the end, and we can persevere. But what I'm saying to you this evening, what the Bible is saying to us this evening, is that in hell, in hell there will be no light at the end of the tunnel. There'll be no rainbow after the storm has concluded. In hell, there will be no hope at all. The suffering will never end. It is a misery that never, ever stops. Several years ago, the noted author C.S. Lewis, he wrote this, he said, There is no doctrine that I would more willingly remove from Christianity than the doctrine of hell if it laid within my power. You know, C.S. Lewis, he didn't like having to talk about hell. And I would imagine that if he had kids, he didn't like talking with his kids about hell. But as C.S. Lewis went on to say in that same quote, he said, but hell, hell has the full support of Scripture and especially Jesus' own words. Which means, I have to talk about it. And I have to talk with my kids about it. And moms and dads, while that might be unpleasant and uncomfortable to have to talk to our children about the realities and the horrors of hell, 
That is part of our duty as parents. We want our kids to think about the seriousness of hell being a place where God is not. We want them to understand how awful the kinds of people that will be there, the devil included. And we want them to think about how wretched it will be for the suffering to go on and on and on without any reprieve. And the reason the Bible tells us this and the reason the Bible wants us to tell these things to others is so that all of us would be absolutely convinced of these truths and we would be fully determined in our hearts to not go there. You know, it's often been said that if you miss heaven, then you've missed everything. And I think that's true. But you know what? The flip side to that is also true. That if you go to hell, then you have lost everything. Just as heaven is good and great beyond our imagination and beyond even our description, hell in the same way. It will be worse than anything that we can imagine. It is worse than even what Scripture is able to say to us in words. And so the Bible, it strains to say to us, don't ever go there. Moms and dads, help your kids. Help them to understand the horrors of hell so that they are determined not to go there. Let's pray about that. Would you pray with me please? Our dear gracious God, our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this evening once again so very sobered by the piercing and painful truths that your word has revealed to us about that place of torment known as hell. Father, we do thank you and we thank your Son for speaking candidly and not holding back by describing for us the awfulness that is that lake of fire and all of the pain and suffering that will be there. Father, we pray that we, first of all, as adults and as parents, that we will be determined in our own lives, that we will live in such a way that we would not ever find hell to be our final destination. Help us, Father, as well as parents, to then instill within our own children the truth of Your Word so that they one day might be able to reach the place in their lives where they can become obedient to You and they can become Your children and they can be on the path that will lead them to heaven and be with you for all of eternity. Help us all, Father. Help us not just with our children, but with all the people that we encounter each and every day, that we might share with them the truths and the realities of what your word says, so that we might, in fact, avoid that awful place of destruction. We thank you most of all for Jesus that makes it possible for us to avoid your wrath and to have that averted so that we might enjoy being in your presence for all time. We look forward to that day, Father. We pray that you'd help us every day in our journey to that place. Be with us every day. We love you and we love your Son. And it is in his holy name that we offer this prayer. And amen.